This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. UEFA World Cup qualifiers, the Women's Champions League quarterfinals. We discuss Inter Milan's new logo. Jimmy Conrad goes on a beautiful rant about his USMNT under 23 and the Olympics. So much more. We have Jimmy and Jonathan Johnson. Que golazo begins right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Que Golazo. Super special episode. Our preview for Wednesday's action and so much more. And of course, we need the big guns today. And I have, of course, Jimmy Conrad. I haven't seen him in a while. Jimmy, what's up, man? What's up, everybody? How's it going? I'm still in a state of disbelief around some U.S. performances, <clears throat> most notably the U23s, not qualifying for the Olympics for the third straight time. But outside of that, I'm doing great, Luis. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm flying right now. Yeah, when we do the final thoughts at the end, I'm pretty sure I know where Jimmy's going to go. Uh, but hey. We need somebody else I haven't seen in a while. Jonathan Johnson. JJ, what's up, man? Hey there, guys. Doing very well. Pleasure to be back on with you. Uh, it's, you know, it has. It's been a long time. It's been more than a minute. It's been more than a minute. And it's so glad to have the gang back. And uh, by the way, everybody, it's Wednesday preview. There's a lot going on. UEFA World Cup qualifiers as Women's Champions League, of course, as the international break kind of closes down. But we wanted to begin uh, with some news. Inter Milan, everybody, they have a new logo. Uh, intriguing. Of course, the Twitter fam went all out on it, uh, having their opinion. <laughs> Jimmy, what do you think about the Inter logo? Uh, you checked it out yet? Uh, I did check it out. And the first thing that jumps out at me is that I wish it had a little yellow. I like the accent. I, I want to keep that. I want to see it. And for them to get away from it, that bums me out just a smidge. And then I had a friend who will remain nameless, or maybe he won't, named Luis Miguel Echegaray, who said, actually, there's a word in the logo, and now I can't unsee it. Okay, everybody? And the letters spell T-I-T, -T, and I can't unsee it. So thank you for that. And now this new logo has been tarnished by, by Luis Miguel Echegaray. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that you uh, said it and I did it. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. It's just so funny. JJ, I mean, you saw it too, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by it. I mean, I, I tweeted out, uh, you know, this whole rebranding to I am kind of makes me think of Eminem and the, the way I am song. Is, yeah, I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's just very, I, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of these rebrands. I mean, you get used to them over time. Uh, still not a fan of the Juventus one, uh, you know, a couple of years along the line. Some people like them, some people don't. Um, but, you know, I think the statement as well from Inter was quite pointed. The, you know, this isn't just because they got bored of the old badge uh, and decided they wanted something new and nicer to look at. You know, it's, you know, quite specifically targeting the fact that they want to move into like that sort of like lifestyle, you know, being more than just a foot, uh, soccer club uh, kind of thing. You know, they, they're kind of following the, the PSG uh, route, uh, you know, of coming out with their own clothing line, that sort of thing. So that's kind of one of the things that, that makes me, you know, not that big a fan of this. Yeah, I will say, though, 
like you know people love to complain though that you know like it it could have been the most beautiful logo in the world and you still would have your and also you forget about it after 24 hours don't you like it's just who cares like fine it's not that great i agree the yellow should be there it says tit whatever <laughs> it's fine <laughs> see that's why i'll always remember this logo from here on out so i guess that's working for him that's the whole purpose of it yeah right tit yes. <laughs> anyway yeah tit uh, <laughs> uh anyway well yeah and and jj by the way if they ever change the villa one i might be i might be really angry actually so well, they they, they teased it a couple yeah, of that's weeks true. ago when they did that wildlife thing and like i had all of my villa villa supporting <laughs> family contacting me like oh, have you heard anything about villa changing the badge this is this is incredible where's the lion gone what's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we, we we rode that one out uh yeah. luckily yeah. but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't mind the the Villa badge as it is now. I mean, okay, I'm a big fan of the the one that I grew up with in my childhood of, you know, the the sort of uh, the, the crest with the lion and then the lines of uh, claret and blue behind, you know, but then other members of my family, the older members, you know, grew up with the badge being round. So I guess it's just, it's a question of what you become most familiar with, really. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people who would love for PSG's logo to go back to saying PSG. Uh, you know, as it did during their first golden period. And there's a lot of people who'd like it to go back to the way it was, you know, sort of in the first couple of seasons under the, uh, of the Qatari era. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, have a lot of different opinions and I guess it's just, you know, what you become most uh, accustomed to, but I do think that there are a handful of, uh, of logos and rebrands that, that just don't work uh, over the years. Uh, you know, and I think the, the ones like Montreal, for example, are, are ones that are going to take so, so long to get used to. Yeah, yeah. What if they changed the U.S. one, Jimmy? Huh? Would you be like, what if like they made it? Uh, they have changed the U.S. one. Oh yeah, they did. They just recently yeah. did it, right? Yeah. Well, what if they did it again? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there's a lot of marketing dollars probably behind that. But I don't know. As long as our women's team keep putting stars on the top of it, I'm totally cool. Yeah, you're damn right. That's so true. Uh, all right. Well, well, you tell us what you think. Kaylaso Pod on Twitter, John. Uh, underscore leg gossip and uh jimmy conrad lmhagadai on twitter if you want to who was your what's your favorite logo was the one you hate the most you just cannot stand <laughs> uh what makes you feel like a right hit anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get going everybody wednesday has a lot of games as the international window closes down and we're going to focus a little bit here on the uefa world cup qualifiers there's been some fun games some interesting performances uh, Turkey has been super surprising, in my opinion. Amazing. Uh, Jimmy, straight away, what, 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 how, how have you thought about this uh, World Cup qualifying campaign from uh, UEFA as they begin their course? Well, I just want to state for context that there are 10 groups and you have to win your group to book your ticket to, to the World Cup. If you get second or if you're one of the, I don't know, top second place teams, then you go into a playoff. And that gets a little sketchy, right? To, to fall into that. So I'm going I'm, to, I'm giving you this context because Portugal versus Serbia, Portugal were up 2-0. They give up two late goals to Serbia. Cristiano Ronaldo, you've probably seen it at this point, scores. It's a goal, in my opinion. I don't know about these other two guys, what they think, but it's a goal, in my opinion. It should have been 3-2. And with so much at stake during this, and now I think Portugal will end up winning the group. They have too much talent to, to, to really falter, but you never know. We could look back on this game and, and I just don't understand with so much at stake, so much money at stake, everything, that there's no goal line technology, that there's no VAR for, the, for these games. I just don't understand how that's even possible, remotely possible 
that they would let that go to chance and kind of go back to the pre-VAR days and, and allow something like this to happen. And the referee who gave Cristiano Ronaldo, who was losing his mind, rightfully, in my opinion, uh, yellow at the end, came out and apologized that it should have been a goal. Like, the dude came out and apologized. Like, doesn't change it. What is it? Are they going to give him the, the win now? Like, what happens? Nothing changes. And that's, I think that's total BS. And I think something needs to be fixed in some capacity. Yeah, no, I agree. JJ, what, what, what do you, I mean, listen, the, the, the VAR thing, I said it on Twitter. I was like, uh, yeah, this makes sense. World Cup qualifiers. Let's not even have goal line technology available. Anything else sticking out to you? Yeah, well, um, I totally take Jimmy's point. Uh, I totally agree with it, but I actually wanted to flip it and turn it to, to you guys. Yes, Cristiano Ronaldo was losing his mind and rightfully so, but the throwing of the captain's armband on the ground for me, that's a bit unacceptable in any circumstance, whether you're a club level, national level. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole of Portugal is not going to turn against Cristiano Ronaldo for doing this, uh, you know, but that is, uh, it's a risky gesture to make. I mean, I've seen it made before. Uh, Mattia Kesman, if you remember him, blast from the past, threw his PSG shirt on the ground once coming off the pitch, being substituted at Parc des Princes. PSG fans never forgot that moment. Uh, and okay, you know, Kesman, Ronaldo, two completely different kind of fish, <laughs> but... You know, I, I still think that the point still stands. Uh, you know, that is pretty... Do you, wait, JJ, can I hop in here, though? Because I feel yeah. like, was he just throwing it because that was what he had in his hands to throw? I don't know. I don't know if it was as... Like, when, when you're coming off, the, you know, you're getting subbed off and you're Kesman and you got that jersey on, that and you're throwing it on the ground, that feels very, very purposeful, right? Because you're like, ah, I, whatever to this jersey and you throw it on the ground or the coach or whatever that one just like I'm pissed at the world I want to help my team win and this is the only thing I have in my hand I'm just going to throw it on the ground I don't know I don't know I don't know if the symbolism is exactly the same but but I understand your point because he should know better than than to even even try to intimate that he could be pissed at his country I don't know that's a weird one it's bad but it's not as bad as not having goal line technology in VR. that's true it's the main focus here <laughs> like, I get it like I'm I, I agree I, you know it's a little bit over dramatic to do that and the messaging but to your point JJ I don't think Portugal's gonna really care too much about that I think it's more about just the you know it doesn't matter that it's for anybody any other nation especially if you're a small nation and you're trying to get a point against a big team and that happens to them uh, you know, that's a big problem. It's a big, big problem. Never mind VAR. Okay, VI, fine. Goal line technology just not available. Like it's kind of ridiculous, especially when we know that it works so well. That's the biggest point, I think. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to just focus now on Wednesday's games uh, because there are some tasty ones. Uh, Jimmy, what are you looking at here? I'm seeing a lot, obviously, some big teams playing against. Uh, yeah, all right. I'll direct, I'll direct traffic here. I'll hop in the car, and you can ride shotgun. Luis and JJ can sit in the back, unless you want to be in shotgun. Whoever calls shotgun is fine. All right, so, so let's start with England versus Poland. Um, as a recap for everybody, England won their first two games. Uh, they beat Albania 2-0, and then I think they got like 75 shots against San Marino to win 5-0. So congrats on beating teams they should beat. Poland, on the other hand, um, they bounced back from a 3-3 draw against Hungary and then had a somewhat routine 3-0 win over Andorra. What I'll say is they lost Robert Lewandowski to a knee injury in that Andorra game. Obviously, that hurts not only his country, but maybe his club prospects as well. Man, that Being is into huge. This. JJ's probably like, mm, I'm okay with that because they're playing <laughs> PSG over two legs in, in uh, the Champions League. So England, England and Poland are definitely seeing each other as their main threat to win this group. 
So it's very important for the three Lions to get all three points at home, especially without Robert Lewandowski. As I said, they have to take advantage of that. I'm hearing, and, and you guys can correct me on this, that Gareth Southgate might be taking some notes from Thomas Tuchel and potentially trying to back three in this one. He had a 4-3-3 in the last two matches against inferior opponents. Uh, Chelsea's Reese James could be manning the right side as the right wing back, Ben Chilwell. Chelsea's Ben Chilwell could be the left wing back. Mason Mount has been very good in these last two games, and he's really uh, being employed in between the lines. And, and I think seeing a lot of the things that Thomas Tuchel has been uh, doing successfully with Chelsea. So I don't know. I, th I think we could see some variation of some Chelsea-like tactics for England against uh, Poland in this one. Also, Nick Pope, the goalkeeper, has not conceded a goal in his six caps so far for England. And he's starting in this one for sure. And with no Robert Lewandowski, I'm kind of like on the clean sheet. Uh, Milik will probably start up top for sure for Poland. Zielinski, who's been, Zielinski, excuse me, has been awesome for Napoli this season. One of their few bright spots, like consistent bright spots. And uh, he's very good as well. I just think England are going to suffocate Poland. I could see this one being pretty tight, all things considered. If you, if you guys like negative lines, so if you're new to the betting world on William Hill, if it says minus anything, you have to bet that amount. So it's minus 133 for a clean sheet for England. You got to bet 133 to win hundred bucks on the opposite though. I'm looking really hard at exact scores. So I like England to win two straight up two zero. That's plus four, four fifty. That's the heavy line favorite on William Hill. And then one zero is plus five fifty. I could see that as well, but given England's, you know, Raheem Sterling and, 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 and Mason Mount, who's been very good and Harry Kane up top, I could see them scoring two goals, but those are the lines I'm looking at. If you do, like I said, if you like the clean sheet, it's minus 133, but I'm always looking for the positive value for you guys. I don't know, JJ, what are you thinking about this one in particular, especially without Lewandowski? Yeah, well, one observation I wanted to make, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but surely without Lewandowski, it makes the match more difficult for England to prepare for because suddenly they've got to pay a lot more attention to guys who you know, could be, you know, potentially there to hurt them uh, in the game on Wednesday. Whereas if Lewandowski was on the pitch, they know exactly who they've got to keep an eye on, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and the guy that Poland are going to try and get the ball to, to put the, you know, to put it in the back of the net. Uh, so for me, I think that this match actually just became a little more complicated for England because they're already coming up against a Poland side that's going to be very motivated after, you know, dropping the points in that opening draw against Hungary. Uh, you know, and I think that England, you know, despite the fact that they ease past San Marino, who doesn't? Uh, you know, it's uh, I, I think this one could actually be more tricky uh, than uh, than many people think. So I'm expecting quite a low scoring match, uh, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's, you know, perhaps even decided by a goal, say like a one nil or a two one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And by the way, there's two Poland players that have also uh, tested positive for coronavirus as well. Uh, Camille uh, Piatakowski and midfielder Gregors. Krychowiak tested positive as well uh, before their scheduled flight to the UK. So there's something to watch out for there. Listen, I just, just from a historical perspective, England, whenever like a key player in the opponents is not playing, like JJ said, it becomes way more of a homework for them. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised as well, as I think, despite all the offensive threats that England brings, that it, it's just such a tight game probably separated by one goal. I, I agree there's enough threat from the three lines that you could see more than one. I don't know, but I think Poland are going to keep it really tight and they're going to try and just really frustrate England, especially in Wembley. So I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for England, though. I still see them winning it. I just don't think it's going to be, you know, this golf fest uh, that, well, I don't think anybody's expecting that, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's multi 
goals, Jimmy. I, I, I think I'm sticking with that one nil. Yeah, I like the one nil plus 550 is really good value if you want to take that big risk and, and try to go exact scores. What I'll say to not necessarily counter JJ's point, but when Lewandowski's out on the fields, he demands so much attention. It creates so much more space for these other players. Zielinski has more time on the ball. Now Piontek is going to come in for Lewandowski probably straight up. Milik obviously has been playing next to Lewandowski. Now they're not going to have that same amount of time. And I think the game's going to be more difficult for them as well. So it, it kind of goes both ways. And I think that England are going to do a very good job of suffocating uh, these guys and not allowing them the space to, to really create any or establish any flow. Whereas I think England, because of the players we're very familiar with, Sterling and, and Mount, Mount has been very, very good. And Harry Kane. And because you're going to have this, if they go with the, the three in the back and the two wide wing backs, they're going to try to create some numerical advantages out wide. That's probably why they'd set up that way. Maybe they're seeing some, some vulnerabilities there with Poland. And Harry Kane is very, very good in the box. And obviously Sterling and Mount are good at creating and getting off their own shots. So I could see a 1-0. It could be tight. I could see a draw here. I mean, if we're really like England's going to England, you know, and they're going to somehow draw a game that they should win. So, so, you know, we could build a narrative around that, but I just think that England's got a little bit too much right now. When you score a lot of goals, even if it's inferior opponents, you still have that, you get a little swagger from that. Whether they're bad or not, it's still nice to hit the back of the net and just kind of relax. So I think going into this one, England's just a little bit better than Paul. I tell you who's going to be key here, Declan Rice, I think. You know, yeah. um, he's been very impressive. Uh, did you see that video? No, like, I think after one goal that they scored, like Declan Rice had his hand to give a high five to his team and nobody would give him a <laughs> Just watch that one. All right, let's move on. Uh, JJ, let's talk France for a second. How are they let's looking? Uh, talk to me about France because uh, who are they facing in this one and what's going on so far? Okay, so they're away at Bosnia. Uh, I'm going to be honest, it's not been great so far. Uh, you know, I, I was actually looking to ask you guys what you make of the three competitive qualifiers in the same international break, uh, you know, because when you're looking at a team like France, you know, it, it, it's not particularly impressive. They were very underwhelming against uh, Ukraine. You know, they, they sort of got that first goal, uh, a bit controversial through Griezmann, lovely finish, uh, and then they just switched off. They managed to concede a goal and draw at home against a team that couldn't muster a shot on target over 90 minutes. It was France putting the ball in the back of their own net that gave them the result, which tells you all you need to know really about that game. Uh, and then they were very poor, I felt, or very flat uh, against Kazakhstan uh, away as well. Kylian Mbappe missed a late penalty, which would have made it 3-0. But otherwise, they relied on an own goal uh, and uh, a very nice finish from Ousmane Dembele early in the match. So it's not been great so far from France. Uh, and to be honest, it's in keeping with a lot of what I've seen from Les Bleus since the 2018 World Cup. You know, they they rarely seem to hit uh, top gear and even the big results that they managed to bring in you know beating the likes of the netherlands germany uh, croatia in the in the nations league they don't really you know wow uh, when they get those results you know it's very sort of workmanlike you know, and perhaps this is the, the, the making of another French uh, international success at the Euros this summer, but I'm not convinced. I feel now that Deschamps put too much loyalty in players who are no longer able to deliver uh, on a regular basis at, a, at international level. And this type of international break where you're expected to play three competitive qualifiers, uh, you know, over a very short space of time, you know, really exposes, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the sort of lack of... Um, rotation and experimentation that, that Deschamps has within this squad. I mean, you look at the players that he sent to the under-21s for the Euros, the guys like uh, Awa, uh, Kamavinga, I know Awa pulled out later on, uh, you know, but to dispense of that kind of talent uh, coming into these games, which with all due respect to the likes of Ukraine, uh, Kazakhstan and Bosnia, Herzegovina, they're not 
you know, the, the toughest of opponents. And they're the kind of teams that guys like Kamavinga could be cutting their teeth against. So for me, my verdict on France uh, so far, very underwhelming. And I'm a little bit worried for them ahead of the Euros when you remember the group that they've got. Uh, you know, they're coming up against the likes of Germany, Portugal and Hungary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump in because uh, I've got a fun fact. This is the first meeting between these two nations in a decade. And Edin Dzeko was remarkably on the score sheet back then. So was Samir Nasri. For all wow. you guys that still love Samir Nasri, I don't know too many people that, know, that love Samir <laughs> Nasri. But just in case you do. But, but, <laughs> but Edin Dzeko is going to start for Bosnia in this game, too. So uh, that's crazy. What I'll say with regard to Bosnia, despite the strength of their team, and I think we can look through it and be like, oh, that's, he's a good player, and he's a good player, and he's a good player. They've only won one out of their last 13 matches, and that was against Liechtenstein. And so they don't come into this one with a lot of form. And I think what we like about France or what frustrates us about France is that they can hit that switch and turn it into this extra gear and somehow find a way to win. So, so yeah, if you're a big, a big fan of the Le Bleu, then, then you're probably frustrated with this group because when you look at their team on paper, it is ridiculous. I mean, world-class talent all over the place. And, it, and as much as I love Olivier Giroud, and I feel like he's still got a, a purpose to serve, you kind of have to be frustrated, JJ, in some ways that like, oh, great. Olivier Giroud is starting for us again. Like, when can we move on from this guy in particular? Is there not somebody else in the pipeline that can do what he can do? Kareem I, Benzema. Hello. I've, I've, I've heard of this player that you're talking about, Kareem Benzema, <laughs> but he might be too fast of a car when, when maybe Francis wants a go-kart. You know, that's yeah. a deep cut for all of you uh, Kareem Benzema fans. He was asked, Didier Deschamps was asked about it, like about Kareem, like basically, and he was like, no, like it's not happening. I just, I just want to say one quick thing to, to what JJ said earlier about sort of Deschamps sticking with like, you know, kind of being loyal. He's basically Michael Scott in the office when they like <laughs> had to get rid of the Michael Scott paper company. And then they bring back, uh, you know, uh, Pam uh, and uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, Novak's character, I was forgetting. But anyway, they bring him back and he, he's only loyal to them. That's what Deschamps is doing right now. Uh, he, he's Ryan, sorry, Pam and Ryan. So that's really what's happening. I just think the Sean's being a little too loyal from the 2018 days. Don't you think, Jimmy? I mean, well, JJ, JJ, I want to ask, like, who's the number nine in the pipeline? I mean, Martial, probably not that guy. Kareem Benzema, clearly not the personality that Deschamps wants. Giroud's just getting older. And, and when I look at the team, you just want somebody that can hold it, hold the ball up so that you can transition with a lot of talented players. Dembele on one side, Mbappe on the other, Griezmann underneath. You, you got these guys that just need to be brought into the game in a meaningful way where they can pick up the ball in and around the box and then run at people. That's what you want. But, but if you're relying on Giroud, that, that's what makes me worried. When I look at every other spot on, on France's squad, I mean, you guys are two, three deep in every position, but, but the number nine spot seems to still be kind of wide open. I didn't know if there was anybody in the pipeline that, Gee, uh, who could that be? I wonder. Well, not Benzema. Guys, we, we, <laughs> Why not? On the, to on, on, on the topic of Benzema, before we go any further on the, the debate of the position, totally agree. You know, Benzema's a, a, a fantastic player. Uh, you know, a, a guy I love to, to watch when he's uh, fit and on, on form. But the decision to not involve Benzema at international level is not necessarily just Deschamps. Uh, you know, it's the French Football Federation as well. And while Benzema is still going to court regarding the issue with Valbuena, which is scheduled for later this year, I think it's October, it's just recently been fixed at, you know, he won't, he won't be coming back. Deschamps, to his credit, uh, in order to turn around the French national team uh, back in 2013, when they qualified, uh, you know, in quite extreme circumstances at home to Ukraine, uh, you know, with that three-goal uh, with, with victory, 
that was the moment that Deschamps decided to do away with all of the, the controversy that surrounds the squad. And unfortunately, Benzema is one of those guys who brings a lot of controversy, although he also brings a lot on the pitch. I mean, Deschamps was a big, big fan of, of, of Benzema's and, you know, wanted to involve him a lot in his early days. Uh, you know, but since that incident with Valbuena, it's, it's been impossible for him to call him up. So now who steps into that number nine void uh, if, if Giroud steps aside? I think you've got to look at Kylian Mbappe and you've also got to ask, you know, when is he going to move centrally as well for PSG? Mm. Uh, you know, and this is something that we've seen occasionally uh, at, at club level and internationally, but Mbappe seems to struggle to embrace the, the responsibility that comes with playing in that central role. Uh, you know, he definitely has the, you know, the, 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 the attributes, the, the skill set for that. I think it's just a question of him learning the position. And that is something that should come with time. I mean, you know, let's not forget how young he still is, you know, and I definitely think that there is an opportunity for him to sort of learn that role for the best part of the next 10 years moving forward. Uh, I just don't think that it's going to be an immediate thing. And I also think for him to be freed from that wide position with France, there has to be a reliable alternative for him at international level. And Martial and Dembele are not quite that just yet. Although I would say counting in Dembele's favor right now is his recent uh, upturn in form with, uh, with Barca, uh, you know, and I think he looks more likely to sort of win that uh, tussle than uh, Martial does at this moment. Well, I mean, Mbappe needs time, but he also needs reps, right? Like he needs more opportunities to take that number nine role, but yeah, no, some very good points there. Yeah, abso- right. Absolutely. But uh, you know, I also think that it, then it comes to a bit of a debate about his situation at PSG, you know, whether PSG are actually benefiting from having somebody like Mauro Riccardi, uh, you know, leading the line or whether they'd be better off moving Mbappe into that middle role, uh, you know, and, and trying to look to make the most of him and Neymar, uh, you know, sort of in that kind of setup. I'm just going to jump in and say tactically, though I love Mbappe in the number nine spot because he can help do a couple things. And one is stretch the defense, right? He's always a threat to get in behind, which will open up space for your other attacking players to, to play in because the, the back line has to drop off. He doesn't hold up the ball. Like that's, you don't want him to have his back to goal and, you know, getting kicked up his backside. And that's where Giroud is excellent, right? He does a very good job of holding off the center backs and then bringing those players into the game so that, so that when Mbappe or Dembele or Kingsley Coman or Griezmann are, get, the, get the ball, they're actually facing the opposing goal. They're actually running with some speed and, and have options. I don't know if you want to waste Mbappe doing that. So I guess that's the rub when, when you think about putting him at the number nine. Do you want the speedy guy that's going to, obviously have tremendous ability and, and really kind of utilize them almost not always where he's going to get the ball, but he makes those runs to create space for others. I, that's not how I would like my Mbappe if I was the coach, <laughs> but, but I understand, you know, where that narrative comes from because I just don't see like this really outrageous number nine coming through the French system. where like, that's the guy, that's so, the guy so, that Mbappe can play with. Yeah. So, so we want, we want the younger, probably less good looking version of uh, Giroud. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to find that player. In that, in that, in that case, the guy already exists. Uh, Lud- Ludovic Ayok. Well, uh, no, uh, I, I actually. On him. All right. Wait, wait, wait. What, what club does he play for? Strasbourg. All right. There you go, everybody. Inside scoop from JJ. Sorry, Luis. I've been interrupting. No, no. Like I was going to say it's not a younger, good-looking Giroud. You need the bad boy. You need Andre Pierre Gignac to come back to this. That would one. be amazing. <laughs> Sign me up for that. And by the way, Mbappe's best friend is space. So whether you play him on the wing or you play him on number nine, he needs that space to like do his thing, like you said. So anyway, we will tell. All right, let's move on because I want to talk about. Hold up, Wednesday. There's more, Jimmy. There's more games. Talk I know, I know, but I, I had I had a line for that one. I like yeah, France oh, yeah, to yeah, win. Yeah. France to win and over two and a half goals. 
plus 115 is pretty heavy uh, for France to win this one. So I had to find some exotics. So France to win over two and a half goals. The last five games that Bosnia have played in, they've been over two and a half goals. I think that'll happen. And then I like Kylian Mbappe to score with his right foot, plus 150. Uh, I, I, I think he'll, uh, that's some pretty good value in my opinion. I like that one. All, All right. right. Now, where, do you, where do you guys want to go? Do you want to go to Italy? You want to talk Italy? Do you want to talk Spain? Well, Germany, who do you guys want to talk about? Well, we got to do a lot more on this show. So why don't we give me a good conclusion of some highlighting games and then JJ, you can pick one that you want. But talk to me about some good games here that, that, that you think for Wednesday. Yeah, what I, well, I'm interested about Lithuania, Italy. Uh, Lithuania opened up their, their campaign for this World Cup qualifying with a credible, I'd call it credible, 1-0 defeat to Switzerland. Switzerland are very good. Lithuania conceded two minutes into the game and it was their own air that led to the goal. I feel like it would have been easy for them to kind of open the floodgates and get run over by Switzerland, who were very good. But uh, they kept it pretty tight. So I'm curious about this one. Italy have won two from two. They had a 2-0 win over Bulgaria on Sunday. They've kept eight clean sheets in the last nine matches. And I think they'll be pretty comfortable here. Um, so, But they do have some issues and some injuries. And I think JJ can talk about them. Marco Verratti and Florenzi, both from PSG, have returned back to the club. So it'll be interesting to see what Italy chooses to do. I'm a big Barella fan, plays for Inter Milan. I think he's one of the best young midfielders in the world. Uh, Lithuania have been losing at both halftime and full time in seven of their last eight matches. I just feel like it would be very Italy. That's like my favorite like fun fact of the game. Very Italy of them to struggle to break down Lithuania to start, who are just going to be all 11 people behind the ball. And then things start to open up in the second half and Italy will get that goal. So I'm really looking at the draw in the first half and then Italy to win the second half at plus 320. Everything else is kind of like Italy to win both halves is minus 105. So again, if you're into the negative stuff, uh, have at it. But but to really try to find some value, I'm looking at Italy getting frustrated and then figuring out a way to break through. Cheer the hero, Mobley, should start. Um, so, so you know, obviously he's, he's a hero for a reason because he scores goals. What do you think, JJ, on Italy? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying watching them playing uh, over the last couple of months. You know, I think Roberto Mancini is overseeing, uh, you know, a really good, quite youthful revolution. Uh, I actually really fancy them as dark horses uh, this summer coming into the Euros, uh, you know, and I think they're one of the teams to watch as well. Uh, looking forward uh, to the to the next World Cup, you know, they don't seem to be struggling as much as some of the other traditional powers. I mean, you mentioned Spain earlier. You know, you look at the slow start that they've made uh, in the group. I mean, I think losing key players, you know, like Verratti, like Florenzi, it's just part of this international break at this moment in time, you know, in this sort of uh, environment, you know, there are going to be players dropping like flies. It's just, you know, whichever national teams have the, the depth to, to, to counter that. I had one more line. I got to bring it up. Italy to win and under two and a half goals is plus 270. I, I think that's the magic one. I, I didn't scroll up to, to get that while well, last one, but I just think it's going to be tight. I think Lithuania learning from their 1-0 loss to Switzerland are going to try to figure out a way. Let's just, let's just maintain that and not give up any mistakes and we have a chance to maybe get a draw in this one. But I like Italy to win an under two and a half goals plus two. Well, they could, maintain the that, they could maintain that or they could like repeat what they did against Kosovo and concede four. So that's like, true. That's the problem with that one. Um, all right, some other games, by the way, everybody. You got Spain against Kosovo, San Marino, Albania, Austria, Denmark. Anything else, Jimmy, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm well, let's talk about Spain because uh, to, to JJ's point, they've had a lot of the ball. I think they're averaging 
75 to 80 percent possession, but they're not doing anything with it. And one of my favorite tweets I ever put out, this is what shameless self-promotion this is. Yeah, I, was I said, say. I said one it was like Spain tweets that I ever put out nominated by me. I did. It, it got good traction. It's just like, you know, one of those ones, ones you don't think about. But it was my prediction was like a Spain Italy game back in the Euros or whatever. And I said that Spain would have 10,000 passes. And Italy would have 200, but it would end 1-1, you know, and uh, but it's true. I mean, that's that really kind of in, encapsulates what Spain's all about. And they're running into the same issues. They're not doing anything with this possession. So I think they're going to beat Kosovo, of course, even though, um, you know, they, they can somewhat hang in there for a little while. What I find interesting about this is that uh, Marcus Llorente, who's been somewhat of an attacking surprise for Atletico Madrid, he's being asked to play right back. So I find that really interesting. Pedri from Barcelona has been excellent. Another young player that's doing very well for Spain. Um, he just got his full debut, and I thought he was excellent. Danny Olmo came off the bench to score against Georgia real late. I think he could be rewarded with a start. I'm going to get exotic in this game for everybody. I'm just going to jump right to the lines. I'm going to say over two and a half goals and four to six total cards. So four to six. I, when I looked back at Kosovo, they're averaging about three or four cards a game. I could see Spain getting one or two. So I like that one over two and a half goals and plus uh, or four to six total cards. That's plus 290. I, I don't rarely get into this one, but I think I might try this and see because it's, it's so one sided. I mean, Spain's clearly going to win, but it's just a matter of how difficult they make it for themselves. JJ, well, anything else? Said that, surely we said that about Spain. Uh, going into the opener against Greece. You know, we saw them held to a draw uh, and it required that late goal from Olmo as well against Georgia. I mean, look at the makeup of the group. Sweden are arguably the strongest team that they're going to come up against and they've taken six points from a possible six already. You know, I'm kind of a little bit worried for Spain. I mean, I'm not worried for Spain really going into this match. I do agree that I think they'll win. I'm not sure they'll be that impressive, but, you know, let's wait and see. But overall, you know, I think that this group is going to play on those games uh, against Sweden, you know, and with Sweden having uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic back in the fold, you know, I think we, we debated this a while ago on the podcast, whether it would be a good thing for them or not. Uh, you know, regardless, uh, you know, if they have that extra experience that helps them sort of see out those two games against Spain, suddenly Spain could be dropping into the playoffs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, like Spain's biggest problem is always they're over-focused on the final third without actually finishing off the final third. And that's like, that's always going to be their problem. They needed a huge goal from Danny Olmo to, to get that win against George. Like they, they just, they need to be more proactive, I think, uh, because there's talent, obviously. Uh, all right, listen, we're going to move on now. We're going to take a break. Diego Lasso will take a break. When we come back, the Women's Champions League quarterfinal second leg will wrap it all up. Diego Lasso will be right back. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about the all-new Stitcher podcast app. It's been rebuilt from the ground up to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go or on the revamped web player. Stitcher is home to all your favorite podcasts from classics like My Favorite Murder. This American Life, and how did this get made? All the CBS shows such as Ion College, Basketball, Fantasy Baseball Today, and of course, your favorite, Gigolasso. In Stitcher, you have more control like setting your download preference per show and the ability to listen at virtually any speed. With Stitcher, you can listen to your podcast anytime, anywhere. So give the all-new Stitcher a try. Download it in the App Store or at stitcherapp.com forward slash download. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kego Lasso. We are talking Women's Champions League quarterfinal second leg. Uh, plenty of storylines here, by the way, as uh, these teams look to enter the semifinal stages. Uh, the seven-time champion, by the way, Lyon, um, you know, six of their players uh, tested positive for COVID. So this game uh, against PSG has been postponed for a later date, uh, and the whole squad is now put in isolation, obviously, due to, you know, what's been going on. But that's not all. There's plenty more, JJ, uh, as we look to the second leg of this Champions League uh, women's quarterfinals. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of COVID issues at play at the moment related to French football, whether it's men's or women's, uh, you know, and I, th- I think something else that's also important here is, you know, that sort of domestic rivalry that's bum- been bubbling now for a couple of years between the two. Both of them know how good each other are, you know, and Lyon particularly will know, you know, just how much of a threat, uh, you know, PSG are to their hopes uh, of adding another European title to uh, their their ever expanding collection you know they seem to win it every season uh you know and the this the situation right now uh in france is that france is deemed a high-risk country so any sort of traveling in and out and and that can be for men's or women's uh you know is going to be pretty tricky you know psg looking ahead to their trip to face Bayern munich uh, in a week or so's time you know they they're likely going to be you know, in under very strict conditions, uh, you know, where you have to present a couple of negative tests in order to make the flights. And then isolation is supposed to be, uh, you know, ob- observed once you actually get into the country. I mean, obviously for, for matches like this, I expect those uh, rules to be overlooked. But to, to me, you know, especially when we see the likes of Porto and Chelsea having their match uh, rearranged and, you know, guys like Zeki Celic, uh, you know, who's been on international duty for Turkey coming back to Lille because he's tested positive for, for COVID. Obviously, France right now is, is one of the countries that's being most affected by this. And I think that's because the government's doing such a poor job uh, to keep a lid on it. So it's not a huge surprise that, that Lyon wanted this match postponed and that UEFA were, you know, quite willing uh, to, to, to push it back. But, you know, I think that there are other motivations at play as well, you know, because I think there are some matches in this competition where with all due respect to the opponents, you know, a team like Lyon, who are so dominant, you know, could actually get through with, you know, quite a rotated side, just not against the, the likes of PSG who are pushing them closer and closer domestically every season. Yeah, no, it's uh, difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'm here as a massive Wendy Renard fan, the captain of Lyon. I think she's a fantastic defender and player. Uh, both for club and country. And so I'm always going to stand uh, Leon to go through and obviously their, their record and, and history speak for itself though, to JJ's point, PSG is closing the gap and it's fun to see, right? At some point you want these teams that are so dominant to actually have some competition and be challenged a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's happening 
and that there's some real investment uh, in the women's side for PSG, which has been there for quite some time, but hopefully all the other teams in Liga start to do the same so that Lyon isn't just, you know, Bayern Munich in this, this Liga all the time where they win, they win the league every single time. Oh, speaking of Bayern Munich, they, I think they're going to go through, no problem. They're up 3-0 after leg one. Uh, Barcelona slapped Man City around 3-0. That was a bit of a surprise in leg one. I don't expect City, even though they've scored, I don't know, 19 goals in the last seven games or something crazy. They might score one or two, but I think Barcelona's just got too much sauce for them. And then with regard to the other one, Chelsea versus Wolfsburg, I had Wolfsburg going past Chelsea. They still got that away goal, Wolfsburg. So, um, you know, they still have a ch- chance to, to get in there and, and make something happen. But Chelsea do have a lot of firepower. I don't know what I was drinking and or smoking when I made that prediction. But uh, but uh, Chelsea are pretty good. Really, really good good matchups. I'm excited and saddened that PSG Lyon won't happen at, at the same time as these other games. But when that one does happen, everybody, all eyes will be on it because it's going to be a very good game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one that I'm looking at really obviously is Man City Barcelona. I wonder how Man City are going to respond and, you know, how much of a gamble they're going to try and take against a very good Barcelona side. They looked fantastic Mm -hmm. against Mm -hmm. Man City. Uh, So we will see. But Lyon, as JJ said, remains the absolute giant. So it'll be interesting to see. And PSG would be the closest one, I would imagine, you know, just because of the rivalry to make something happen. All right. Well, that's it. That's our show. Before we leave, I want final thoughts from these two. Uh, let's go with Jonathan Johnson first. Give me your final thoughts on anything that you want to talk about. Looking ahead, of course, uh, give it to me. You know what I'm looking forward to most? That's Tell the me. rant that Jimmy Conrad is about to get. Oh, uh, no, no, no. National team. <laughs> no, actually, look, I got, I, yeah, well, listen, I'm a ticking time bomb when it comes to, to the U.S. team in particular uh, at all levels, at our youth levels as well. Before I get there, though, it just got announced that Robert Lewandowski is going to be out for four weeks, which means he's going to miss with a sprained right knee. So, JJ, I'm coming to you for your new <laughs> rant or new excited hope about now how that helps PSG get past Bayern Munich in, in, the, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. You know, as much as I'm tempted to just announce the the, the victory right now, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be more calm and measured. You know, we've seen PSG in these sorts of situations in the past, notably when they've been without Neymar. Uh, you know, and you see how much it impacts uh, a team. This now is is a real test for for Bayern Munich. I feel to prove, uh, you know, that they are worthy champions you know they they are the team that that deserves to be holding all of these titles in their hand at this moment in time because i've been dealing with a lot of criticism since the draw was made where i talked up psg's chances and said that they would relish going into this match as the underdog uh, and that Bayern, you know, would be expected to go through as favorites, you know, because they beat them in the final last year and that their title holders in pretty much every competition they're eligible for uh, at this moment in time. Bayern have been struggling of late. Uh, you know, they've not been that convincing domestically, uh, you know, and now to take Lewandowski out of that side, it kind of changes the chemistry of this match a little bit. And I'd say it almost puts you know Bayern in the underdog situation which is something that I don't think will necessarily work in PSG's favor so now after the second leg of the the Barcelona clash uh, you know I think PSG are really going to have to work hard on the you know on their mental approach and Lewandowski being out has the danger of of, of putting PSG in a position where they get complacent Jonathan has- Johnson <laughs> hold up four words Eric, Maxine, exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm telling you right now, he's going to be the winner. No, I'll just say this about that game. And I said it to Jimmy last time at the pod with PSG Bayern Munich. It's time to show up, PSG. This is it. There are no excuses I, I right now. I don't, I don't think any of us could have missed that uh, that, that Luis Miguel rant. I, I was loving it. 
That's what I was going to say as well, Luis, was just that what the narrative, the narrative of Chupamotin coming back to score against PSG is, is unbelievable. So I'm here, I'm here for that. We'll see if it actually happens, but yeah, yeah, of course, Lewandowski going out is one thing, but they still got Nabry and they've guess they got Muller and, and Leroy Sané and, and, and so on and so on and so on. So of course they can, they're definitely dangerous and we'll see who ends up stepping up to fill the void. But yeah, that's, that's what Mm -hmm. I got on that. I think that's really breaking news and something we're talking about for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, I think as well, it's quite difficult for, for Bayern to motivate themselves at times this season as, as, as they've shown. And I think for them to go into a match like this, Sean of their absolute talisman, you know, the first guy that everyone wants to talk about when Bayern come up as a topic, you know, that is actually going to give them a bit of motivation, which makes them, I think now more dangerous. Plus the obvious threat of uh, Chupo Moting coming mm-hmm. up and doing what he did for PSG against Atalanta last season. Yeah. Jimmy, the mic is yours. Wow. Okay. I mean, I know we want to keep this tight, so I'll have my tight thoughts. Listen, you, you, the U23s got knocked out by Honduras uh, to qualify for the Olympics. The third time we've missed out on the Olympics, everybody. It's really unacceptable on so many different levels. First and foremost, though, I want to say congratulations to Honduras. We talk in this country like we should beat Honduras. They've qualified for five straight Olympics. They got to the semifinals in Rio in 2016. You can't sleep on, on Honduras at this level in particular. You never can really sleep on any CONCACAF opponents, especially they really want to stick it to the U.S. every single time they step on the field. So I just want to say congratulations to them. They were organized, they were committed, they were focused, and they made the plays they needed to make to win that game. For us, I'm heartbroken. We missed out on a massive opportunity to play some meaningful games for our younger players that need to strengthen their, their ability to, to, uh, to handle pressure, to, to cope with whatever the situation is. Are we the underdogs? Are we the favorites? We really struggle with being the favorites, by the way. When we're supposed to win games, we don't do a very good job of really taking control. We're hoping we win games. I'm so tired of the hoping. I, I don't want us to hope anymore. I want us to go out there and uh, this, we're going to win this game. We're going to own it. We're going to take responsibility for it and accountability. I saw a lot of nervous players out there. And then afterwards, Jason Christ, the coach who should, I don't know why he hasn't resigned and come out and said, Hey, I'm done. Even though obviously he's done. He didn't do what he was hired to do, but a confidence thing for me stems from the culture that you've created with, with, As, as a coach. And, and when you're putting players in spots that they don't normally play or try, try hoping that things work out as opposed to putting people in their spots so that it does work out is so infuriating for me. And, and I could go on another hour about this. And then, and then lastly, somebody asked me, well, who's to blame for this? Everybody's to blame the, the, the administration. because so here's a fun fact for you. When we were trying to qualify for the 2016 Olympics, we had three players that were withheld uh, from Olympic qualifying. For this one, we had over 30 players that were withheld, which include Christian Pulisic and a whole bunch of players that are playing with our full team. And I know there's COVID reasons. I know we have a whole bunch of excuses we can use, but that's a sign of growth. And obviously we're trending in the right direction. Is our coaching or that we're having here, is, it, is that developing and maturing and evolving the same way as our players? I can't say that for sure. And, and that's where that's going to be the next step. This next iteration for us is, can our coaches start to match the talent that we have at our disposal? Because we didn't have good roster selection. So it's on the coach as well for not starting a good formation, not in, in, in really putting confidence in the team and, and not choosing the right players. He had options that he could have brought some number 10s in. He chose to go with defensive midfielders and wingers, and that didn't really work out as we've, as we've seen. And then finally, it's on the players. I don't care where you've played in the past. I don't care where you're going to play in the future. It matters when that whistle blows. You have to make plays when the whistle blows. I don't care if you play in Europe or MLS. So it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Are you ready when the whistle blows or are you not? That's the only thing that matters. I only had MLS experience and I held my own in a World Cup. It didn't matter where I played before and it didn't matter where I played after. It mattered when that whistle blew and I had to 
go up against Pirlo and Del Piero and Toti and all these guys and Michael Essien. I, I was ready for those games because of everything that led up to it. I was ready when the whistle blew and some of our European based players were not. So no, I don't buy any of that bullshit. I don't buy any of that, that narrative at all. You're either ready when the whistle blows or you're not. And we didn't have enough guys ready for that. So everybody has to take responsibility. I'm done. Thank you for my time. Well said, my friend. Love it. Love it. And that I think is where we'll end it. Uh, don't be a tit, basically. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Bring back call back. Uh, like Jimmy Codra, thank you so much, brother. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Jonathan Johnson. Always a pleasure. Likewise. Loved it. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad and Jonathan Johnson for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Drop us a question right there when you leave that rating and review, that five-star rating and review, and we will try and answer it on the show. It's always good to hear and see you on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, on Stitcher, Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso, cbsports.com, of course. Stay with us every weekday. Have a great, great day. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.